Have you ever been to a political rally? I've been at several in my lifetime, but a few years ago it's been since I went to the most recent one I attended. And the one that night had all the hoopla that you'd expect of a political rally. There were the four Ps. There were posters and politicians and parades and promises. The reason I attended that night is because my cousin Les Smith was offering as a candidate for the Liberal Party. The meeting was out in Fredericton Junction. I think it was the York Sunbury uh, constituency. And so he was running to run for the Liberal Party in the next provincial election. So I sat that evening and listened to, first of all, the Premier of the province was there, Sean Graham, and he spoke. And then my cousin Les spoke. And then the candidate that was offering a running against him and Les did win the nomination, by the way, but in the, up, in the provincial election, months later, he was defeated. But I'm, uh, my point is, as I sat there at that political rally that night, I found myself listening to the candidates speak, the speakers speak, and I'll admit it. I sat there thinking, if, if I vote for you, what's in it for me? I did. Now, politicians, they know what we want to hear. They know how it works, and they know that we want to know what's in it for me. And when we think about that, when we think about the promises politicians make, don't we all want the same thing? I want lower taxes. I want better health care. I'd like to see my government efficiently handle and end this whole COVID thing that's been going on now for a year and a half. I want better health care. I'd like to see in my area improved roads, more jobs, lower tuition for college students. And so we do, when we go to those kinds of things, when we hear politicians speak, it's almost automatic to get into the mode of what's in it for me. That's how it is in this kingdom. And when I say this kingdom, I'm talking about New Brunswick. I'm talking about our nation, Canada. We know how that works. We are looking for what's in it for us. But hear me today. We're also part of his kingdom. And as citizens of the Father's kingdom, we wouldn't ask, we wouldn't ask what's in it for me, would we? Well, Matthew chapter 19 records the story of the wealthy young CEO who came to Jesus asking, what good things must I do to have eternal life? And that encounter, if you know the story, concluded when Jesus confronted him and said, I want you to give away all your stuff and come and follow me. And the story ends this way. It says, he went away sadly. Then Peter speaks up. Always Peter, it seems to be, has to have a word. Peter speaks up, impetuous Peter, and says to Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you, and then he said it. What will we get out of it? Now, Peter didn't say, what will I get out of it? He did have the good sense to use the corporate we. A lot of people use the word we when they mean I. They hide behind it. Well, Peter did that. What will we get out of it? But he really wanted to know on this occasion. Peter is truly asking Jesus, hey, if I serve you, what will I get out of it? 
They say that those who grew up in the 70s and 80s uh, belong to what is known as the me generation. Well, apparently, Peter was way ahead of his time because he certainly was part of the me generation. Did you know that some say there's a new pandemic? Boys, I shouldn't say that without explaining right away. A new pandemic headed our way in North America, and it's already arrived. And there's a word for it. Here it is on the screen. It's a word I just made up, but I think it works. This is the pandemic that's infecting the church today. It's called what's in it for me-itis. Well, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 30, Jesus, in response to Peter's question, remember the question? What are we going to get out of it if we serve you? Jesus says these words, many who seem to be important now will be least important then. And those who are considered least here will be greatest then. Now, if that's all Jesus had said in response to Peter's question, then that would leave all of them and us still today scratching our heads as if to say, I don't understand where you're going with this, Jesus. What, what, what are you talking about? But Jesus didn't end there. Jesus went on to tell a story, as he often did, and on this occasion he told the story about the vineyard workers to further answer, elaborate on and answer Peter's question. When I was prepping this sermon, my daughter Nikki said to me, Dad, what you preaching this Sunday? And when I told her about the parable I was preaching from, she said, I like that parable less every time I read it. Now, you haven't heard the parable yet, maybe, but there is something. As you hear this read, I think all of us have a sense that there's something disturbing about it. There's something unsettling about this parable. Matter of fact, some of us may even be thinking, that's just not fair, what Jesus is talking about here. Here's the parable. It's on the screen. Let me read it to you. For the kingdom of heaven, it's Matthew 20, for the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and he saw some people standing around doing nothing, so he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they'd receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner, hey, those people, I put the hay in, those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay the last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind? 
to others. So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. So let me speak to you today. Do you find yourself at times infected with what's in it for me, itis? Do you find yourself posing the question, what's in it for me? I have four suggestions from this scripture, and here's the first. Just forget it and go to work. Verse 1, the owner of the estate went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now, this is the kind of thing that happened every harvest time in Palestine in those days. By the end of September, the grapes were ripe, and a few days later, the rains would come. So you had only a, a short block of time, leaving a brief window to get those grapes harvested so vineyard owners would do just what the scripture says, go out in the marketplace looking to hire even if the workers couldn't give an entire day. And of course, the unemployed would hang out in the marketplace hoping to be hired. So at six one morning, the estate owner finds a few hopeful men, verse 2, and agreed to pay them the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. Now, did you pick that up? These first workers negotiated for the normal daily wage. When the vineyard owner said to them, will you work? They said, what's in it for me? They did. They say, what's the pay? Now, verse 3 says at 9 a.m., three hours later, he was out looking for more workers, hiring again. But this time, the workers did not negotiate. The owner simply said to them, I will pay you whatever is right at the end of the day. And the story goes on that at noon, three at the afternoon, and five, that's one hour left in the day, the workers that were hired didn't ask what's in it for me. They just, they just forgot it and went to work. Interesting, isn't it? You know, there's some sentences that have been spoken by leaders, politicians, whatever, leaders of countries down through the years uh, that have kind of been stuck in our minds. They're so, the, the statements are so significant, so prominent, so memorable, so quotable. 2,000 years ago, according to the record, Julius Caesar said, I came, I saw, and I... Yes, you know that. It's a, it's a familiar quote. And then uh, about 60 years ago, in, uh, in the 1960s, Martin Luther King said, his most famous speech, perhaps, I have a yes. And about the same time, maybe a year or two later, uh, John F. Kennedy, President John F. Kennedy, 35th President of the USA, said in his inaugural address, don't ask what's in it for me. Well, that's not exactly what he said, but an exact quote of what he said sounds like that. Listen, he said, and so my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. What's he saying? Don't dwell on the what do I get out of it question, just forget it and go to work. Dr. H.C. Wilson, who has guest preached here several times over the years, once at least while I've been here, he's a native cross pointer. He's also a former general superintendent of the Wesleyan Church and a district superintendent here. While he was DS, he was telling me one time about an interview he had with a young man who was looking for a position in a church on the Atlantic District of the Wesleyan Church. 
So Dr. Wilson had some questions for the young man. So he posed his questions. Then he says to the young man, do you have any questions for me? And the young man looked at Dr. Wilson and chose his first question very poorly. The young man said, how much money will I make? And uh, I think the young man was suffering from what's in it for me-itis. Do I need to tell you? There were no further interviews. And that young man is not serving on the Atlantic District of the Wesleyan Church unless he's had a serious attitude change. I would further suggest that that young man is not serving anywhere. Now, there's no question that there, there is a time and a place for kingdom workers to discuss remuneration, to discuss their pay. But Bible scholar William Barclay got it right when he commenting on this parable. Here was his comment. If a, man's, a man is not a Christian, if his first concern is pay, if his first concern is what's in it for me, and it does seem as if much of the church today is infected with what's in it for me, itis. It's almost as if many people are saying, my preferences ought to be the church's priorities. Really? Do you really think that? I was on staff at Moncton Wesleyan Church about eight years ago, and one of the men in the church, his name was Mike and I, would go out into the community in those days and follow up people who had visited the church on Sunday. We'd simply knock on the door and chat with them there a few minutes, and, and this young couple had visited the church. We knocked on the door. He invited us in, so we stepped in. He told us he was a believer that he just moved to the city, and he was checking out churches. Well, then he started. He didn't like this, and he didn't like that, and he didn't approve of the way we did this, and he didn't approve of the way we did that, and he didn't like the music and the sermon. He didn't get anything out of it. Uh, we listened for a few minutes, and then we got a God bless out of us, and we drove off. We concluded, we concluded it probably would be better for that man and for the benefit, the, it would benefit the church if he decided to settle someplace else. Ask not what your church can do for you, but the question, the message of this parable is that we ought to ask, what can I do for the church? Do you truly believe? Do you truly believe that the church is the only organization on the planet that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not part of it? Do you really believe that? Well, are you infected by what's in it for me, Itis? Do you find yourself dwelling on the question, what's in it for me? Well, just forget it and go to work. But here's number two. Get your eyes off others. Just get your eyes off others. And I take you back to this picture of the scene now. It's 6 p.m. The workday is over. Verse 8 says, the foreman calls the workers in and hands them their pay. Now, I don't know how you picture that scene, but I can see them all lined up in front of the foreman, and according to the story, he pays the one-hour workers first, and he gives them a full day's wage. Let's say in our money today, he hands them all 120 bucks. And uh, so he gives the one-hour workers $120, which is a full day's wage, and the guys on the other end of the line are beginning to do the math. They're thinking, if the one-hour workers got 100 and, 
120 bucks, and I've been here 12 hours, 12, 12, 100, $1,440. This is awesome. But when their paymaster got down the line and got to them, they got what they agreed to. At the beginning of the day, $120. And then they said, I read it to you, here it is again, those people, these guys in this end of the line, said those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them the same as what you paid us who worked all day in the scorching sun. Here's my point. If these guys, the 12-hour workers, had not been there to see the one-hour workers get paid, there would have been no problem. Everything would have been fine. What happened then? They got their eyes on others. If you're a hockey fan, you may remember the name Alexei Yashin, one of the biggest stars in the game a few years ago. And he signed to play back then for the Ottawa Senators. But after he signed, and he signed for big money, but after he signed, some of the other top players in the league paid, got contracts bigger than his. And he didn't like that. So he went to the Ottawa Senators, Senators management and said, uh, I'd like to renegotiate. I'm as good a player as they are and I think I ought to be paid on a par with them. Please renegotiate my salary. And the Ottawa management said, well, you're under contract. Finish your contract, and when that's done with, we'll talk. Yashin said, no. Renegotiate or I won't play. And the Ottawa senators said, well, then don't play. And Yashin went home to Russia. Ottawa traded him off a year or so later. But you know what? Uh, his star was ever after diminished, tarnished evening. What was his problem? He got his eyes on others. The message of this parable is, never mind others. Get your eyes off them. You probably are familiar with the story of the thief, the repentant thief on the cross next to Jesus. That guy was dying, getting his just desserts for a life of crime. But near his death, the scripture records that he turns to Jesus and says, would you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? You remember Jesus' awesome response? Jesus said, this very day, you will be with me in paradise. So picture this, late afternoon, late Friday afternoon, the repentant thief enters paradise. Do you suppose anyone inside those gates of pearl would have said, Who's that? Who's that that just arrived? Isn't, isn't that the crook? Isn't that the crook who robbed old Jacob, the tent maker? Isn't that the same guy who beat Abel, the camel salesman, to within an inch of his life? I've seen the guy's wanted posters when I was down on earth. What on earth is this about? When did he repent? And the answer comes back five minutes ago. Surely, no one inside the gates of Pearl said, not fair, not fair, you think? And Peter, Peter is the guy, the story's about here, puts Peter in a rather bad light because he asked the original, what's in it for me question. He had been with Jesus three full years when this incident I'm telling you about happened. And then right near the end of Jesus' time, Jesus was with Peter and Jesus was telling Peter about his eventual demise, how his end would come. Peter's question back to Jesus was, 
What about John? And if I can give you a loose translation of what Jesus responded to Peter, it would be this. That's not your business. Get your eyes off others. But isn't there something within us all, at least at times, that wants to compare our situation with the other guy? His business thrives. It seems that their investments, all their investments turn to gold, but not me. Everything seems smooth and fine in their family, but look at the trouble that has come my way. I've been in the church twice as long as she has, and I've never been asked, I've never been honored in that way or asked to serve in a position like that. Or I think that church over there could meet my needs better than this one. The message of this parable is get your eyes off others. So do you see some signs of infection in you of this itis called what's in it for me itis? Well, when you're inclined to ask the question what's in it for me, just forget it and go to work. Get your eyes off others. Here's number three. Be grateful for what you get. Be grateful for what you get. The all-day workers got treated fairly. They got what they agreed to. And yet, when we get to verse 11, we read these words. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. No gratitude. None. Although they got what they agreed to. Even wannabe theologian, Oprah Winfrey, well, she could be a theologian if you take out the theo part, right? But she got it right when she said these words, be thankful for what you have and you'll end up having more. But, th but these workers, they focused on what they didn't have rather on what they did have. 12 hours earlier, those 12-hour workers were broke. And now they have a $120 and they're whining. But then again, I guess if you can't whine in a vineyard, where can you whine? Ooh. All right. At least you're awake down there. I'm moving right along. I grew up in this very church, attending here. And uh, was the practice when I was a kid. Maybe it was because I was a preacher's kid. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if other kids went, but I always went to the, to the Tuesday night prayer meeting held in that room right across the hall over there. And in, and in those days, the service opened by us singing a few songs, and then there was a time of prayer where anyone in the building could pray. Everyone changed, like it would be as if I asked all of you to get down on your knees at your chair. We always did that on Tuesday night. Everyone did that. A half a dozen or eight prayed, and then we would sit back up again, and the pastor would do... Uh, a sermonette. A sermonette is a sermon shortened, and the preacher never yells. That's about the only difference between a sermon and a sermonette. And, uh, and on this particular night, my dad's message was about being grateful. Okay? Now, as was the habit, the end of the service consisted of most all the people who were present would give a brief testimony. Maybe it would only be a few words. And it was common for people to make a comment on the subject that was the subject of the sermon at. So my father had spoken on being grateful. And old Fred Robinson stood to say a word, to give a testimony or whatever. I call him old Fred Robinson. He was probably about the age I am now. Anyway, Fred stood up and he, I remember it so well, even though I was only a child. He said, I was down in the basement today and I was coming up the stairs 
And about halfway up the stairs, there's a beam way too low, and I gave my head an awful whack on that beam. Well, as a kid, and I'm sure there were others agreeing with me, I'm sitting there wondering, Fred, if you missed the point here, this is about being grateful, and you're telling us about a whack on your head, but Fred wasn't done. He said, I gave my head an awful whack, and then I stood there thinking, I'm so grateful my tongue wasn't out. <laughs> Old Fred had learned to be grateful no matter what. As a kid, Barbara Ann Kipfer began making a list of all her favorite things. 20 years later, she published a book and that list was part of it. The title of the book was this, 14,000 Things to Be Happy About. Can I ask you this morning, how's your book coming? Let me ask you this. Do the, are, do the people closest to you, would they consider you a grateful person? Would they? Hmm. What's in it for me? No, it's a bad question. So when you see yourself infected with this what's in it for me itis just just forget it and go to work get your eyes off others be grateful for what you get and here's the last point i want to make today just trust the owner of the estate until payday at 5 p.m you know you know the story now even if you hadn't heard it before just an hour before quitting time the owner is still looking to hire and he finds some men standing around the marketplace. And verse 7 says, he just said to them this, simply, go out and join the others. And they went. Not one of them apparently said, what's the point? What's the point of going out in the field now? There's only an hour left in the day. They went. There was no questions. There were no hesitation. There was no, apparently, nobody even asked, what you're going to pay me for the one hour? Why do you suppose no one had any questions they just went? Can I suggest an answer to you? It's because they had heard about the estate owner. He had a good reputation, and they knew he was someone they could trust. Hear me today. Do you know the owner of this estate we're living on? Do you? We can trust him. You can trust him. You can he will do what's right. 15 years ago, it was January the 2nd, 2006. Some of you may recall this. There was a mine explosion in the Sago Mine in Flatwoods, West Virginia. 13 miners were trapped underground. Rescue attempts were attempted. Prayer meetings were held. I even remember we prayed for those miners up here way back then. But they died. The 12 miners all died in that mine. 51-year-old Martin Toller was one of the miners. He left a note. What do you suppose the note he left said? Well, it might have said, this isn't fair, I'm only 51 years old. He might have written, I didn't deserve this to end up this way. He might have written, I don't see God anywhere down here in this place. That isn't what he wrote. There was no what's-in-it-for-me-itis in him. Martin Toller, here's what he wrote. Tell everyone I'll see them on the other side. It wasn't bad. I just went to sleep. I love you. 
Do you ever think? Do you ever ponder on that question? What's in it for me? Are you infected with what's in it for me-itis? Just forget it and go to work. Get your eyes off others. Be grateful for what you get. And trust the owner of the estate until payday. One more thing before I sit. You know those disciples? Those disciples that followed Jesus around and lived with him and traveled with him for three years were infected with what's in it for me, itis, all the way through those three years? You know what they were doing when Jesus made his last trip to Jerusalem to die on a cross? The disciples still had it in their head. He was going to Jerusalem to set up a government. Do you know what the disciples were doing? They were fighting over who was going to have first place and second place and third and fourth in his government. Who was going to be minister of finance and who was going to be whatever, tourism, whatever. They were fighting for cabinet positions. Why? Because they were concerned. They were, they were infected with what's in it for me-itis. And do you know when they got the cure? The day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and filled all of those believers. And they were cured. And it's the same for us today. When you see that tendency in yourself to ask what's in it for me, that can be the death of a church, you know. If that gets raging inside of church and the majority are interested in the question, what's in it for me, can kill a church. And that's not the future of Cross Point. And so, as we pray together, would you stand with me? We're going to sing a closing song. But let me just, let's pray together. Please stand. Father, look down inside my heart. And you know the, the tendency in me, you know the t- tendency in each of us to at times get absorbed with the what's in it for me question. Yes, we at times get infected with this what's in it for me-itis. Spirit of God, as we sing this closing song, look deep down inside of us. Change our minds, change our attitudes, change our hearts so that our focus is on you and that our focus is on others and the focus is on those who do not yet know you as Lord and Savior. I pray for those in this room this morning. I pray for those with us online today. Holy Spirit of God, take my life, change me, fill me. Keep working on me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.